Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theatre about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one, I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. I caught up with my first guest, an actor, writer and activist pre-lockdown, in his dressing room at the Old Vic Theatre, where he was performing with Daniel Radcliffe in Samuel Beckett's Endgame. He's as well known for his film and TV work as he is on Broadway and in the West End, but we'd agreed to chat about one of his most famous triumphs, playing the MC in Cabaret. Not once, but three times between 1993 and 2015. It is, of course... Alan Cumming. Oh my God, talking of which, we went to the box on Saturday night. Oh, yeah. And saw a gentleman pull things out of his palm, the balloons. Oh, yeah. And then set on the biggest dildo I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen quite a few. And this is entertainment. This is entertainment. It was with song and music. Come on, get up on this bit. It was Come with on. song and music. Yeah. And uh, what, what was, was the song he was singing with? <laughs> You're not recording this, are you? No, <laughs> I don't mind. When, when is, when... You know? So thank you, Alan, for uh, um, letting us into your dressing room. I was just thinking the last time I was in your dressing room was in Studio 54. And it was after the uh, performance. Of Cabaret. And it was of Cabaret. And it was Club Coming, which is, I see you've got the sign up here as well. So it's Club Coming East here. Did it start in Studio It started in that dressing room you were in, yeah. And now it's in an award-winning New York <laughs> venue yes. and stuff. And now it's an actual pub. So tell me about where did that come from? I mean, Seriously, it was like this. Like I, so I, well, what happened was I was doing, I said I'd do Cabaret again. Thought I'd just, you know, give another bash. I was going to turn 50 during the year I did it. You know, it was all those things. But I'll give it, I'll give it a go. And I foolishly thought, oh, you know, politically, it was a really good time to go. But I had no idea what was going to happen in the ensuing years. But, uh, and then, but then by a variety of sort of weird happens, happenings, they kept doing, and, and I was asked to be, and I agreed to be in this next season of The Good Wife. I thought mm -hmm. it was going to be finished by then. But it wasn't. They kept on. So... They made me an offer I couldn't refuse and said they would be very good about letting me do both. So I was doing a Broadway show and a TV show at the same time. So I just remember thinking, I'll never have any... One of the things I like about doing a play is seeing your friends afterwards, having a wee drink, you know, kind of having that sort of social aspect of organised social aspect. So I thought, what I'm going to have to do is bring the party to me. I don't, I'm not going to go out. I'm going to just make... And so I got a booze company to sponsor my bar. So much as I do here with Arbiki. Yeah, and you're very well stocked. And very well stocked. Well, they wrap it up in this building, I tell you. <laughs> Beckett tends to get people drinking. And I just, so I had this lovely bar. It became called Club Coming. Someone, I, we got a sign made saying yeah. Club Coming. And then it just became a thing. You know, people, the box office would ask for tickets to Club Coming as well as to, for, to come and see Cabaret. And then after it finished, um... I really understood, like, I actually realised I enjoyed having, sort of throwing parties with people for all different types of people. I loved, like, you know, some glamorous person and then chatting to some, one of the chorus boys' grannies from Wisconsin. I loved that dichotomy. So I would, I would throw these club coming parties. Performance was involved in it as well. 
I'd throw them just as a chance to see everybody. Yeah, I mean, in the night I was there. I mean, you got up, Sienna Miller got up, you sang, I mean, you've yeah. been on stage for a couple of yeah. hours and then you're up there doing that. Well, you don't think you're all kind of high afterwards. And it became yeah. this thing, it became a sort of, and then I would get, sometimes I'd get my call. I'd be like, I'd be there, it'd be like, you know, one thirty, two in the morning. I'd go, you've got a 6.30 pickup. I'm like, okay, this is the last song. And we had a certain quote, like we knew if I played the ladies who lunch, Elaine Stritch singing it, that meant it was the, that, the was, la- the end. that was the end. That was like, grab uh, your coats. Totally, yeah. Uh, so I just I did odd ones here and there. And then I was, when I was doing my concert tour, um, I would do sometimes do club coming parties afterwards, and that was interesting because it was sort of the band in my, who I used for mm-hmm. my show would play along as I DJed and would have guests, and it started to form this thing. And then I did it in Edinburgh. I had some proper actual club coming parties that were, you know, that were, were built, were advertised afterwards, and we had guests from around the festival. And then my friend Daniel, who promotes promoted some of the concerts said to me that this bar in New York which was my favourite bar Eastern Block Mm -hmm. they were wanting to sell it or move on the the two guys who owned it so we went to them and said you know we want to do this kind of cabaret bar that's called Club Coming we've kind of been playing with the idea in various forms and we told them about it and they said gosh that sounds really great we'll stay and help you and thank God they did because we know zero about running a bar I mean I still know Mm -hmm. zero I mean I know a little bit more now actually I've been to like you know yeah, it's hard alcohol. Work. Yeah, what do you call it? The liquor yeah. license board or to make my case for liquor license and all this stuff. Right. And uh, you know, I know about laws and things like that. And yeah, I do know much more about it. Have you I've, ever thrown anybody out? Have you ever had to yeah. do that? Have you? Yeah. Have you boun- been a bouncer in your own club? I haven't. I haven't. We have a but I, I didn't. But I've my f- sort of famous thing I did was I sort of say, you know, it's kindness is all. It's very like if there's a level. My, the most important thing to me is that people have, are nice and you're kind to the customer and customers are kind to each other and you talk to people and it's all ages all genders all sexuality that, those sorts of things are really important so there was one time we were doing it's the 20th anniversary of Spice World the movie we had a special screening mm-hmm. we had a Spice Come Dress as Your Favourite Spice Girl competition the winner received a piece of memorabilia that had been in my basement because uh, I am in that film and so we were up, I was up hosting the the Spice Girl competition and everyone had been drinking and one boy here there was two people dressed as Baby Spice and one of the one boy said something mean about the other one and I was like oh you know what you're going to have to leave the stage and he was like what I said there's a level of kindness that's mandatory at club coming and you just dip below it with that comment and everyone's like whoa yeah too right whoa. Yeah. and he went you're joking right I went no you're disqualified get off the stage and he was like what and I went get off the stage and so he walked off the stage and um, he um, tripped and cut his knee. Oh. <laughs> and we had to get vodka from the bar to d- disinfect it. Oh. And Daniel was standing there, just looked at me and went, Spice Karma. <laughs> so, yeah, I, so I, I do. I think it's really, you know, it's, okay. it's just become this really great sort of artistic hub. That's what's amazing. So many great performers are coming out there and oh, going there. Well, the night I was there, and I can see the sign here, the night I was there was fantastic. So- So, uh, Cabaret, now it was the first production which I saw was in London at the Dunmore in 93 and uh, you yes. did it with Jane Horrocks. With who's Jane in, Horrocks. Who's in the play with you here at the Old Vic. Cur- uh, yeah, currently game. playing my, my mother in a dustbin, formerly yes. my sexy co-star. There's <laughs> and, girls. And Adam Godley, of course, and it was directed mm-hmm. by Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. So, just just before we get on to that just tell me where you were in your career as that role came up I mean I'd seen you in Hamlet you came to London with Conquest of the South Pole mm-hmm. you'd done a lot of theatre but was musical theatre what you were looking to do is it something that you no it really wasn't I mean I'd done I was sort of I just I was doing like when I went to meet Sam about that uh, doing cabaret I was about to start rehearsals for Hamlet I did you know, I was performing Hamlet at the Dormar Warehouse whilst rehearsing Cabaret underneath it. Mm-hmm. So there was sort of a slight overlap in the performances, I sense. But I had done, you know, quite a lot of theatre, was starting to do films. It, I, I sort of felt after having done Hamlet, it wasn't, I thought maybe I should, I don't know, I didn't, I, I wasn't, I didn't really, Cabaret was the last thing I wanted to do. Right. And um, I had done like musical stuff in terms of, comedy stuff I did with, with Victor yeah. and Barry with Forbes Masson but actual musicals weren't my bag I don't I don't and you know the last time Cabaret had been performed in London before the one I did at Wayne Sleep had been the yeah. Master of Ceremonies 
it just seemed another sort of... Was the film a big thing for you? Um, I, uh, y- y- yes, I mean, I, I, I'd seen it and loved it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't in that sort of... Um, musicals weren't my bag. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, didn't really... I mean, they still aren't, mm-hmm. you know. I, I know them a bit better now. I've been in a couple, but not that many. So how did Sam sell it to you? He, well, because I had lunch with him and I was, oh, you know, I'm, I'm playing Hamlet. I don't do musicals and I was going to snob so I didn't want to do it. And he sold it to me in that my, my thing, he asked me why I did, felt like that. And I said, I feel sometimes that musicals, because of their form and by the very nature of having songs that have, you know, end with a button and, uh, you know, whatever, have a kind of, the sort of the tropes of, of musical theatre-ness, sometimes to me um, demean the subject matter. And I think that Cabaret uh, is an exception to that, yes, but nonetheless, I didn't, f- I don't know, it wasn't, I mean, I, I, I thought Cabaret was a good, is a great musical, but still the sort of form of musical theatre was, mm. and I just sort of thought, I don't want to do a little man in a bow tie coming out being sort of weirdly sexy and and it's actually a much more dirty awful. And I'd read uh, the, the books of... Goodbye to Christi- Berlin. Goodbye to Berlin, Mr. Norris Changes Trains. So he said, he said to me... Well, had you, you know, read those books previously? Yeah. The issue of books, correct? Yeah, I had. I think I'd actually le- read them as audiobooks, actually. Mm. And I'd actually done cabaret, I forgot to say this part, oh. at, at the Brunton Theatre in Musselburgh. As the MC? 19- no, as Cliff oh, in right. 1987, when I was in rep. Wow. In Scotland, so I, I, there was also that. There was also because I felt in that part I was very much in the, you know, emotional heart of this thing, and I got to like take some of the actual text from the book, and you know, the director was very uh, lenient in that way. Um, felt I was very much in the heart of the story, and I felt that actually sometimes the musicalness of it kind of, mm. you know, the sort of teeth and tits part kind of demeaned it. So I told Sam all this and he said, well, and I said, actually these places are were just glorified sex clubs. You know what I mean? They were not, they were not these, Sally Bowles should be terrible. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to be terrible as the lead of a big musical. Yes. But she what? She should be, that's what, she's a failure. Mm-hmm. She's, um, well not a failure, but she's, she's doesn't um, have a good understanding of her own talent and power. Yes, she's not a superstar, is she? No, she's not. She's not supposed to be that. No, she's in a dingy little club that's basically just, you know, the acts are on in between. You go out to get a breath Mm. of fresh air and then go back into the back room. Mm. So that was... And also these people, like, you know, Red were kind of glorified hookers or mostly were potentially for sale in some form. So I talked to Sam about that and he said, that's exactly the kind of, you know, I want to do a production that actually embraces all that and it's kind of immersive and that the audience would sit around you and I don't want it to be all teeth and tits and kind of he we just it was an interesting thing we both just sort of came at it with the same sort of <clears throat> fears or hopes yeah. whichever you, that was the revolutionary it. thing about it I think is that you really got a sense of the world outside of the club and how it became dangerous for these characters to be performing. Yes. I mean, one of the things that you brought to it, which I thought was, you talk about the bow tie, but let's just talk about your costume, because I know it changed over the years. You did it quite a wee bit, yeah. But I remember it being quite shocking. There was a whole... Did the bondage stuff start in London? Yes, there was a sort of a, I also said it's like a, like a wonder bra for your balls. It mm. was like a kind of weird little harness thing. Mm. And uh, with these sort of, sort of like old, you know, braces, suspenders kind of tweaked around into a sort of little harness thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of basically topless, but with these sort of straps and a little bow tie up between the, the braces. Of my chest. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was kind of, that kind of it altered a little bit in New York, but basically that was it. But the big thing was that it made my package kind of you know yeah. it was like it was like a wonder bra for your yeah great your, for your junk. But it was um, good for dancing actually, got everything out of the way. Yeah, but also it was that sense of it was very sexy. I mean, and it was very sexual. It had that thing of. You know, the actors or the characters were very sexual with the audience. I remember mm. the first time I went to see it, someone sat on my lap and there was, there was all mm. that thing. You were very much in the club. I yes. mean, that was easier to stage it in Studio 54 than the Donmar, but you were in the club. Weren't well, the whole thing was, yeah, they had t- the tables and chairs. They took all the sort of normal chairs out and put the little lamps and tables and chairs. And the people who served you drinks were kind of, you know, dressed up as well. And so it's supposed to be like you were 
in that club and the characters would come through you. And yeah, it was very... I mean, it's interesting. I think that um, when I see the different versions, sometimes when I, when they, I get tributes or something, they'll mm -hmm. show... Because we did the, the London version on telly. So I think this maybe it's easier for them to use those that, that clip. And I really, there's for me, such a huge difference between when I did it in London and when I did it on Broadway. Yeah, let's talk about that as well. I mean, mm. let's just talk about the London production in the sense of rehearsal. What did you want, what emerged in rehearsal for you about what you wanted the MC to be? I wanted him to be as unshowbiz as, I mean, it's showbiz, but it's like... Seedy. Seedy showbiz. It's showbiz with just, just kind of, I'm doing this, but I'm just, because basically I'll get... I'll get a, a shot in my arm the second I go off stage, or mm. you know, I, or I've just had a shot in my arm, or, mm. or you know what I mean. I've got to go and give somebody a blowjob or get one or something. I just everything about it had this sort of that desperation of where you of people who are on the edge and there's a terrible thing coming and they're just sort of in denial or else being being provocateurs at the mm -hmm. start of it. Mm -hmm. And I like the way that I loved the way that the production and in the play the whole thing kind of slowly slid. Mm. Um, almost imperceptibly and the thing I really loved in performing it the thing I talked a lot with Sam about is this way of being funny and being charming and being sexy and then then getting slowly a bit more out of it and so you, 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 you bring the audience in Mm. and encourage it and then you turn around and go well what are you laughing at you know that's brilliant the it's way so, you return is really yeah. the, the fact that the danger of the production that you as the audience were seen by the characters you weren't in the black light in the theatre you were actually mm. part of them yeah so we're everywhere you, you would turn on us sometimes and and there was a sense of some characters catching on to the danger of the world they were in the Weimar Republic the SS before other characters you know yes. there was a sense of that yeah. and you also felt that the world outside the club was disintegrating sort of faster than inside the club, really. The club, yes. It felt like the club was a bit of an oasis for yes. anarchy. And I think that was true. I mean, well, interestingly, you know, those clubs were the first, one of the first things to go when Hitler got into power. Mm. He understood how powerful they were. Those, mm. I mean, <clears throat> not just the sort of CD1 that's represented in the musical, but the ones that were much more about political satire and that sort of bred provocation and, mm. and uh, um, anti-government feeling. So the, he understood the, the potency of those images. And there was something about the look of it that was very Otto Dix in a way. There was that yeah. sort of, was that a reference for you and stuff? Was very much so. Otto Dix, um, even, you know, the, because actually when I did it the last time in Edinburgh, in, Edinburgh uh, in New York, I went to the first night party as that Otto Dix painting of that woman with the, with the long the cigar yeah. with the long uh, cigarette in the yeah. holder and she's got a monocle and a little black hair and, and sort of a red and black sort of yeah. almost a tartan thing that was uh, wonderful yeah she did all those kind of Weimari painters and especially those ones Dix and I can't remember the other one you know he painted people who'd come back from the war oh yes these yes. really disturbing images Max Ernst mm -hmm. is that right? I think so yeah yes. Uh, so there's a, so yeah that was a lot. even Max Beckman, you know those that darkness and weirdness and sort of, uh, it, it, I mean I think it was, it was such an exciting time, because it was incredibly progressive. Germany was incredibly progressive. Uh, all these things that like um, Magnus Hirsch, Hirschfeld was do you doing. Do you think in '93, and subsequently I'll ask you how it changed, but in '93 particularly that you could push that more than, say, Fosse and Manelli could in the film, that the fact that you were, not that we were in a more liberated well, time, but that you could be more overtly sexual. I, I, I mean, I feel like, uh, I, um, I mean, I suppose, I mean, the, the one thing I feel is that the 98 production, I was much more, in, in like in the 93, 94 short few months we did it in London, I was in a state at the time in my life. I was like having a nervous breakdown. So I was, which was kind of great for the role, also for playing Hamlet, I suppose. But, you know, I actually was just like, wow, what the fuck's going on here? And so that kind of comes over in a way that's not, it's not as playful as, for me, it's, it's kind of disturbing to see it. Mm. So that when I say, when, I, when they showed that clip and think it's the Broadway one, I'm always like, no, that's the wrong one. Oh, I look, I'm, too, I'm too mean looking. There was a sort of a, something slightly dead behind my eyes a wee bit which people sort of liked but it wasn't I actually preferred it 
But then what happened was in 98, when we did it to New York, there was a lot, it was a confluence of several things. A, I was in a better place in my life. Mm-hmm. B, I was much more relaxed about being sexually provocative. Uh, I, it was also American. Can you, you know, just I, elaborate on why you were more relaxed about being more sexually provocative? Um, I felt older. I felt sort of, uh, you know, I was at that point, had... Uh, I can't remember, like I was, my marriage was breaking up when I did it the first time. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't good. And then I started, to, yeah, I started to have, a, I think I had a boyfriend by that point. Mm-hmm. So I was in, it was out that I was kind of bisexual and all that stuff. And I think, and not just that, but I felt more like comfortable about my sexuality. I know, you know what it not is? Not just more, now, you come to terms with lots of other things in your life, you're, you were coming to terms with lots in of that, In that, yes, and also a lot of stuff. Like, come, you know, I, having, going from, it's kind of nice to do something again when you had a nervous breakdown when you were doing it the first time. To get another go at it is <laughs> quite nice on many levels. There's some closure. Um, but also, yeah, there's, so there's a lot of stuff like that. But also I just feel like I felt more... Uh, like when I did it the first time, I felt very... Um, the idea that I was being very sort of, sec- uh, you know, objectified. Mm. That was and just the way I was feeling in my... I just That was a lot for me. It wasn't quite... I didn't feel as sexy as I as I was being told I was and all that right. stuff and so that was a lot so the second time I guess I did and I felt I understood the power of all that I understood I just kind of came into myself a bit more in terms of my uh, ability to understand my own sort of sexual power so because you did play the role for a long time do you think you played it a long time because of that because of the first time you played it there was a real self-discovery inside the role itself do you associate the role with a turning point in your life um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I definitely think the first time my life changed whilst I was playing it. I think the second time the role definitely changed my, in my life mm-hmm. in, in New York. Uh, I mean, but you know, I, like in New York, it was also, of course, at the time in 1998, the, the uh, Clinton mm-hmm. scandal, uh, with, uh, uh, you know, the, the impeachment and everything mm-hmm. and the whole, um. I just, I don't want to say the Monica thing. I think it's so terrible that we call no, it the Monica no, thing and she's a very dear friend. It's the Clinton thing. I call it the Clinton scandal. Yeah. And, um, and about sex though, about, you know, I was in rehearsals for this show. And I remember being in, the, I remember, you know, being in, watching the telly before I go to work and it's like, oh, you know, and the blowjob and all and this. And I'm like, what's going on here? Really, my God. And then I go to work. I remember the first day being in the elevator with this boy called um, Bill, he played the trombone and was one of the Kit Kat boys because that's another thing that was, that was a new thing about it actually was that all the, uh, the actors played yes. were the band mm-hmm. well, that, was, that happens all the time now but that was really the first time it ever happened was during when we did it in London it's kind of revolutionary and the whole immersive thing was kind of a start of all that too but anyway I was in the elevator with Bill and I, he said oh yeah and he said are you in the show I said yeah and um, I just in my mind I was like you've no idea I'm going to have my hand on your balls <laughs> within two days and just because of the choreography. And I just feel like that there was a sort of puritanical, you know, explosion at that point. So us coming along mm. right then and me coming along as this sort of weirdo European pansexual, mm-hmm. shameless provocateur was an incredible sort of, it, you know, really hit a moment. Totally. And I and I think it was interesting because I would go to places in America and people say, "Oh, you're the cabaret guy." And I went, "Oh, did you see the play?" And they go, "No." <laughs> and, but the actual talk of it and the yes. sort of the it caused a hit big the zeitgeist yeah, in a way yeah, that's yeah. really unusual for just a piece of theatre. How long into the London run did you know you were going to go to Broadway, or was it? Oh, afterwards? it wasn't. It was year. Well, you know, when, during the London run, um, Kandra and Ebb came, uh, and. They really liked it and blah, blah, blah. But then, then it was, oh, maybe it'll go to New York. And I was a bit like, yeah, whatever. Then it was spo- like a couple of years after that, it was supposed to go, it was supposed to open in 97. And it was all set to do it. And then at the last minute, they lost the venue that were going to do it. So it was moved to, and I was, at that point, I was like, you know, that was a couple of years. Mm. We finished in March of 94, or April. And then, you know, it wasn't till like, Say at ninety. I remember I was in America, shoot, yeah, shooting some films in America in ninety six, and they said, "Oh, it's going to happen." I said, "Okay." Like then at the end in ninety six, they said, "Oh, it's not going to happen." I'm like, "Mm-hmm." Then you know, next year, like, "Oh, it's going to happen." I was a bit like, "Yeah, whatever." And I and I remember thinking, 
because I was doing a film in um, Prague and people said, oh, what are you doing next? I went, oh, I'm going to New York to do this play that I did in London. I really felt like that. I mean, maybe in a way I was kind of playing at time because I thought it wasn't going to, but I'd never done a Broadway. I didn't know what Broadway was really, you know. Didn't, and I didn't, and it was before it seemed my peers did that. You know, I didn't have friends who went to America to be in a play. Mm-hmm. I, I was kind of the first person I knew who'd done that, apart from like, you know, movie stars or something. Yeah, or actors from two generations. Yes. Of, you know, like Olivier or yes. whatever, you yes. know. But of our so generation, of our generation you were really, really the person who went over then, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So it was just, so I, I, just, I just felt like, oh, I'm going to do a play in blah, you know, like Bath or, I didn't know, Edinburgh. And then I was, um, went to New York and I remember driving in from the airport seeing my, the big billboard with a little thing with like my with eyes your on eyes. It. Yeah, and my name and Natasha's name and everything. So I was just like, holy shit. So, um, but the thing was, I felt that, you know, we ha- I felt we really hit this thing and, it, and the whole sort of sexuality of it and my spirit, my spirit as me, Really, it really worked in that yeah. time. It was the spit was but worked. The better. cuffs were off in a way. You could go for, and it, it was more playful. Yeah. It was more playful and mischievous. Totally, and, and also more dangerous. And more dangerous. Yeah, uh, because, because also it's interesting that Clinton thing. Because there's something about the Kick Clack Club where you go, whatever your sexuality is out there, whatever you're getting up to out there, in here you can do whatever yes, you want. Yes, uh-huh. So there was a secret thing, wasn't yeah. there? But you as the MC, you sort of pulled the, uh, the, yeah. the wool off everybody's eyes and just went, hey, look at this. Yeah. That was what was brilliant. This is what's going on. You know you want to. That was my big line. And you mentioned Natasha Richardson. So she took over. You both won Tonys for it. Didn't you? Yes. Which was amazing. And how was that experience? of How much did the... The show changed because uh, Bob uh, Rob Marshall was. Did he come in as a new choreographer? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, what happened actually was that um, Rob. See, what really happened was that Sam was going to do it. Rob was going to choreograph it. Then Sam dropped out because he thought this movie was going to was going to happen. So they, then they said, "Oh well, would Rob was starting to direct and and choreograph?" So they said, "Rob's going to do it now." And so I met with Rob. I said, like, "Oh, okay." And then Sam's film fell through. And then they came back and said. So then they co-directed it mm. and choreographed it. And you were the only constant from the London, wasn't you? I was, yeah. So yeah. the three of you worked together on a new concept? or I mean, it didn't change, it wasn't no, the change. concept, is, the real concept, it got bigger, obviously. Mm. Uh, but no, the concept was still the same. We are in this, it's like an immersive thing. It's, it's you know, reading, we read all the books that are about tried to work out the real lives of what those people would be really like. It's not glamorous. It's not, mm. they're not, they're not going to be big stars. These, these are just, you know. But did the numbers change? The choreography changed? The choreography changed, yeah, because mm. Rob is now doing it instead mm. of um, Lee um, Silver. No, what's her name? Oh, gosh, I have to go back and see have a look. Is it in, instead of the British so, choreographer. So Rob did the choreography for the new one? Yes. And so it got, there was more people and it was a bit bigger and it was, it was, a, it was a bit more pizzazzy, mm-hmm. but uh, still grungy. And a bigger theatre. I mean, bigger theatre. Well, the first thing, we first started it uh, in, this is my dog, Lala, not, there's not some weird bell ringing <laughs> competition going on. Got a little scratchy neck. Uh, the, the, the first place we did was called, was called, it's now the Stephen Sondheim Theatre yes. in New York, but it was, when we went into it, it was the old Henry Miller's Theatre, but it had been up until that point a club for a long, long, long time. So, and at weekends it was still a club, so it was perfect right. for the show. And I got my little dingy little dressing, it was the size of, you know, a, a sofa. And I, I looked open, and when we arrived in it, I opened the window. And outside was a sort of enclosed little area with, with slanty roofs and, and, um, but I, and it's all condoms and needles outside it. But I just had to sort of, it's like one of those reality takeover shows. I thought, this is going to be a fabulous garden. <laughs> and I cleared it all up and I got plants and trees and I had an outdoor shower there and fairy lights. And I used to, that's what I used to entertain. And it was the most magical thing. So I'd get all these people would, one, and one of the times when we changed contracts to, to go, you know, to me to stay on, they said, you know, my agent was like, anything you want? I said, yeah, I want a, a new window in my dressing room, one that pulls open. Because <laughs> the night before, it was Christy Turlington's granny. I'd had to climb through my window <laughs> onto this funny little <laughs> roof. And I thought, oh, that's terrible. So, um, but we had such great fun there. But how were you received? So when you first did it, because obviously the film 
had been so huge. There'd obviously been big Broadway productions. Your, as we've said, your production was very different, much more confrontational. Mm-hmm. How did the New York audience react to it? Well, initially, you know, because it was uh, uh, the Roundabout Theatre is a subscription. Who who produced it is a subscription-based audience. So for the first, if you ever do a play with them, they're usually for about three months, and then either they extend or you transfer into onto Broadway. I mean, it's always on Broadway, but you know what I mean, into a mm-hmm. commercial house. So we had three months of a kind of quite conservative but welcoming uh, audience, and then it went into the commercial thing, yes. and that was completely different. I mean, people loved it from from the get-go, were shocked. I remember as a little lady when, uh, early on, uh, you know, I went out and she went, um, she, she went, what do, you, what do you think about people talking so much about you taking your clothes off? <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you think? And she goes, I'm too old to think. Like, <laughs> like it was this hilarious kind of, and people were very, I mean, I think partly because of the sort of the zeitgeist at the time, but it was a very, um, you know, it changed my life in a lot of ways, but it also changed my life in that people, I got, I objectified in a big way. Yes. And, and I was, you know, I was 33 years old. I was the sort of a geeky 33 year old man. I, it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, mm. Jennifer Lopez, but I just, something happened and by a man being that open and yeah. comfortable in his sexuality was very provocative at that time. I mean, people would, a lot of weird stuff happened, but I mean, I, one of the things I remember is like, you know, I, I had to go for these events and artists at parties, straight couples would get so turned on by, by talking to them. They were like, right. they would both feel me up. I'd say, hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that would, was really, I'd start getting, that's when I got security for the first time. Yes, and how did you, I mean, you were like this Broadway star, but with a difference because you were kicking down barriers all the time, weren't you? Did you feel like you were trailblazing? Mm, I knew some. I, I mean, the thing was, it was so overwhelming. I had nothing to compare it to, and I was on my own. Yes. And and one of the reasons I did it again, sixteen years later, was to just try and put it, place it properly, and enjoy it more. Yes. Because I understood what it was. But at the time, I felt I was aware. I, I was aware I was a sensation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, you sort of think, oh, is this what does this happen to everyone who goes to, to from you know to New York? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I know it. No, doesn't. it does. I, know that I now, don't but, think it does actually. But because I mean, I didn't know everybody. I didn't know anyone that it happened to. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, a lady. I remember having a couple of years later, this lady. I sat beside a lady at dinner, at some dinner, and she said, you know, I've lived in New York for forty years. I've never seen it in New York welcome yeah. the city welcome anyone like it welcomed you. Yeah. And that was an incredible thing. But there's downsides to that. There's it? downsides in that, yeah, you have to have a security person and you uh, become this sort of the most vaunted thing. And so, and the security thing was, because it was all pre-internet and all that stuff then. So you don't have, it's, all I mean, it's a, the people just became obsessed and there wasn't an outlet. There's not an outlet to say, oh, here I am doing this thing of photos on Twitter. Oh, here's my Instagram. People can see, you know, it, there was a, it was people seek you out. And so I got, it was really, that was really, that was the craziest part. I always loved that Barry Humphreys thing where he says, you know, he was on tour as Dame Edna and wherever he went, people wanted a bit of him. He'd have to go to functions. He'd had to do all this. And then he'd get into his dressing room and the people be lots of people around. He'd get into the costume. He'd walk on stage in front of 2,000 people and he'd think, thank God, alone at last. <laughs> and it was just that thing of once he was on stage, he knew that nobody could get him, that he could yes. just do his thing. Yes. I mean, did you feel that? was? Did the show at that time become the real, just performing the show, did that become the jewel in your life because everything else was going so mad? Yes, it was. It was. But then there's all, actually, just when you said that, it reminded me of that. There was, there was a bit when I would go into the audience and take people up from the audience. So that got problematic as well. Like it's, there's nothing more alarming. It's walking on, on, being on a stage and starting to walk into the audience and you see security people coming in to check you from the audience with, well, not with guns, (laughs) but with this to keep an eye on anything that happens. Because that's where, that's where it was going. And, um, so that's, yeah, I mean, I, I, yes, it was actually doing the show was such fun and I had great friends and it was really lovely. And I, you know, I, I had a great time. Were you able to keep your feet on the ground, though, or did you lose it? I think I lost it for a wee bit because I. It was overwhelming. I mean, I think when you be, when something like that happens to you, you have maybe about six months, uh, and if you're still an asshole at the end of six months, I don't mean I don't mean I was an asshole, but 
to get in perspective. You're you know drunk I mean? with it, aren't you? I mean, you sort yeah. of just a head and it's team. just like, oh yeah, oh Madonna's here. To she, Madonna's drivers wants to take you to dinner. Oh, oh Steven Spielberg's outside. He wants to meet you. Or you know, oh, blah blah, throwing themselves at you. Uh, or you know, and it's and then also there's like blah blah. You go, who's that? I don't know who that is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was funny too. We'll be back with more chat after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code Listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code Listen at BlueNile.com for fifty dollars off your purchase. BlueNile.com code Listen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time with me, David Morrissey. Now back to this week's episode. But yeah, I mean, I think I uh, I was also exhausted because I didn't. I mean, this is this is what's hilarious. I remember the first night. I, the press lady I had, she was so nice. She, we, 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 it was the opening, I came, did the red carpet at the party and she goes, there you, that's it. And I went, oh, Ian, it's been so lovely. I, yeah, just thank you so much for guiding me through all this. And, you know, I guess I won't be seeing you much anymore. But I, as I was speaking, I could see her face kind of going, what? What's he, what's he talking about? And I went, what do you mean? She goes, Alan, well, you know, award season is about to begin. I was like, award season? What does that mean? I mean, it was that green, yeah, I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. And that then, you know, I saw it every day practically because then yeah. it was all the nominations, all blah, blah, blah. And that was, I found that, I've actually, that I find, I, you know, I love when you're in something that's successful. Of course, it was lovely. Now I do understand it better. But the whole, I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Yeah, right. Just to like, you know, because also you get, if you don't win, well, yeah. lucky that time I did win everything, but... In other times, I'd like you get you get award pity. You know, you've like, at least I've oh, been I've nominated had for a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you had I've had that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think at least I fucking got nominated? Don't make me p- pity yes. Yeah. Don't make, give me pity because I didn't win. Because yeah. you've got to think, oh fuck! Now you think, oh god! Everyone's like, oh, I'm so no. sorry. Just all that stuff is a whole range of things you just don't expect, and you're just trying to do your job as well. But the thing about the last time I did it, I'm so glad I did it because. I was a bit older, been around the block, understood it all, you know, la la la. Michelle Williams was playing Sally Bowles and kind of was in the same thing. I think she was kind of new and was, you know, uh, had Had she done much stage before? Not really. Done one play at, uh, it's a Chekhov at uh, the the place in uh, Connecticut where you go and they do in the summer, what's that Mm. called? Williamsburg. No, Williamstown. So not very much. Um, So, and then, you know, I, I felt like I, I enjoyed just the thing of what I thought I was going to have the first time. I'm just doing a play with this great play with these great bunch of people. It's fun, it's sexy, it's la la la. And I, it wasn't all, all the other stuff I didn't know. I knew what it was about this time. And also it wasn't really focused on me because I couldn't win another Tony for my performance I'd already given. Do you know what I mean? So it felt like I was And now New, New York was now your town as well, wasn't it? You yes. were living there and yes, you know, well, really set up. And that's why, you know, I have a, my, my, the bar, the, the dressing room yeah. of, that I made Club Coming in. Outside it, on the wall, there is a sign saying, the original home of Club Coming. Yeah. That's... That it's like, wonderful. It's so like crazy. a blue plaque, like a blue plaque. That is fantastic. <laughs> In red neon, a gaudy blue plaque, <laughs> and uh, and then also you know I think the second time it, the world has moved on, that sort of sexuality that we were introducing or projecting or that the show was so much about, 
is not so shocking now. Yes. And I feel in the, it didn't overwhelm the show, the production, like it did in 98 yes. this time around. Yes. It made the darkness of the show come out. It was still fun, it was still sexy, and it still had a point, but it didn't overwhelm the pro- what's actually underneath it, this message of be very, very vigilant about the slow creep of experience. That's, that's really true, because one of the things you did between the, the time you did it with Natasha Richardson and I think Jennifer Jason Lee at that point, when you came back, in between, you'd done Bent, hadn't you? Uh, I think. Well, no, no, I did. I did. Oh, yeah, you mean I did? I did um, yes, bent in the middle of the of the two times it, it, I did. Yes, Cabaret. yes. And when of you brought back, and that for me, having seen you in Bent, which is an amazing performance, at the end of Cabaret, we see you basically in that in, in, the, in, the, in yeah. the in the concentration camp sort of uniform yeah. with the two stars, the yellow and the pink stars. Yeah, and it had a different poignancy for me, having seen you do. Ben, so I sort of, it's like uh, that uh, was what would have happened to you. Him, yeah. Sort of, you could play Bent at the end of Cabaret in a way yeah. because you know there you are. Totally. And I thought that was really different. Did that bring anything different for you? Having yeah, I mean, I think I I had much more. I was, it was a lot to do with yes, experiences like that, understanding stuff more. But being older, you know, being older yeah. and being more. Um, kind of having having been around the block a bit in my life as well as in my work mm. and coming back to it thinking it was a physical challenge to do I was turned 50 yeah. when I did it be the leading da- dancer on a Broadway show yeah <laughs> I mean how do you do that I wanted to ask you about how because it's so demanding aren't you for work, you, like, work your tits off I mean I I actually really love it's funny because I'm now I don't know if I told you I'm going to do a dance piece next year no. so after I finished Cabaret you know I got really fit you know I was I love that feeling of when your body's just completely lean and completely working and it's just it's all about the doing the thing you have to do like when I did Macbeth as well mm-hmm. it's exactly the same thing where you played all the parts I played all the parts yeah. I trained really hard because I knew I had to be strong for that I had real stamina for that so I did lots of training and very specific training and I love when you and this it's like being a marine or something do you know what I mean you're, you're, or your, your body is just this kind of it's it's specifically in a, in a state to do what it has to do at that moment to do that the best you can mm-hmm. I think that's really exciting but that's the physical demands yeah. what about the mental demands how do you keep yourself mentally alert for that time well um, in a long run in, for, of cabaret you mean yeah yeah well uh, I, the, the thing about cabaret that is actually I found is that each when you're the MC you really don't interact with many other characters. You, t- you know, you sort of think of you and Sally Bowles as the two, they are the two leading roles, but you don't really, I say, Sally Bowles, you know. It's the audience you couple times. The audience is the other actor that you deal with mostly. Mm-hmm. And that, the, and the feel of the audience and the makeup of them, that's, that changes every night, of course. So that's what makes it exciting. And you, or you have to, it's your job to create the, the ambiance and the experiment, uh, experience for the audience. So it, it didn't get boring ever really because of that mm. and that's uh, it was because it felt like you'd be constantly engaged I don't know about you but like I used to like the idea of doing a year long something would just drive me nuts mm. I would and, but I've got much more sort of I don't get bored uh, or you know doing I just I, even doing a play that's not got that engagement with an audience when it's just a play. I don't know. I just I, I seem to be yeah. to find things that it depends keep me on the play, engaged. doesn't it? It depends on. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I always find if you do Shakespeare, it's endlessly giving. You're constantly discovering stuff inside it, really. Yeah, yeah. And that's important. I mean, I saw you at the end of Cabaret when you were working with Sienna Miller, and it was just as fresh and amazing as it mm. when I'd seen it with Jane and Donmar. Well, that was what was so great about actually bringing other you know so the last new actresses coming in. Yeah, that would. So, so it was Emma. Uh, what was it? Emma Stone. Emma Stone had t- done it after uh, Michelle. Michelle did it first. Michelle Williams, and then Emma Stone came in because Emma was supposed to do it first, and then she couldn't do it, and so then she there was a whole palaver, and so she she took over, and then Sienna came in. So it was this new energy in the building as well. You know, that's the other thing I think, yeah. and that's the other thing I think that taught me about being you know when you're in a big company like that how, how and why I did Club Coming and why I had my little garden in the you know yeah. outside the window it's really important I understand, I understand and because of Cabaret I understood the importance and the, and the sort of responsibility you have as a company leader to yes. make sure people have 
a good experience and make sure that people ch chill out and relax together as a company. And I think it's important that you set the tone of what behaviour is mm. is in the company. The thing of kindness yeah. being the that you know it's that terrible thing of like some people are more ensemble than others. And, you know, in the sense that you have to create that ensemble totally. in the place. And I think that's totally. you can see it in the production. Yeah. I mean you can see that in productions now. That, you know, Absolutely. I think you can feel it one when you're of the things about being at the RSC when I first went I thought, oh it's fine for you lot, but it's not, you know, we're getting a completely different treatment back here with the spears. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you need to have that sort of collegiate yeah, thing. Totally. Understanding. Good. And um, so there's a song that you sing in the in the in the show, which I don't think was in the film, and I think it's always cut, which is I don't, I don't care. care much. I don't care much, and it, the way you do it is so heartbreaking. It's sort of confrontational, vulnerable. It's got this real anger in there and pride, mm. but also you know this defeat is coming at you. This army of you know, this literal army that's coming at you that's mm. going to take you down. Was it your idea to bring it back into the production or was it always there? Or no, how did it feel I, for you? I, I didn't know it at all. And they said they wanted to put it back in in London. And I think it had been cut from some production, you know, early on. And it was cut from the film, I think. Yeah, it was not in the film, no. no. But I think it was cut from... The Broadway. The broad, some Broadway production. And the only person who'd ever recorded it before I did was Barbara Streisand. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and it was just, I just thought it was a beautiful song. And also the way, I think what's great about it and what's great about Sam, he really understands how to, you know, put something, when he puts something in like that, it really encapsulated all those things you're saying where it was in the show. That everything was starting to crumble. Everything was starting to go wrong. Mm. The Nazis were on the rise. You know, I was I sang it all kind of druggy. Mm. Uh, I, I was I was wearing a dress. Mm. I, 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 I was staggering a bit. You know, it was this kind of what's what's happening. All the bit, oh the nice funny guy who was yes. dancing around is now like wearing a dress and has got track marks and he's kind of angry. What miss? You know, the lady who we had just had the party for the old lady and man, she's not going to marry him anymore because she's scared. You know, all these things were starting to happen and um, and I just. Uh, it was just an amazing sort of, and it's it's a a, a song that's just you know it's basically saying look at my life, look at my life, it's terrible. These things were happening to me, but I don't care. Mm. But of course you, you but do But the inference was like I don't care because you don't care about me. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, that you, I'm all right when I'm entertaining you, Absolutely. and I'm fine when I'm funny. But you don't but want when to I hear need the real you, you thing. Really care yeah, about me. no. And that was wonderful. It was a brilliant thing. Do you know it's funny that it was one time in between the times I'd done it on Broadway, so in about you know twenty, so I don't know, sometime. So I did it again. What twenty fifteen was it? 2015? Mm -hmm. So say about twenty ten. Uh, so you know, I was Alan Cumming, I was known for cabaret and other, but you know, but I went, we went to this, I went to this um, place in, in New York called Marie's Crisis, which is like a piano bar where it's basically people go and there's a guy who plays the piano and and, he, and he can sort of sit around the piano and everyone sings show tunes. That's just it's it's like stepping back in time to the seventies. As terrible um, low grade booze, you've always have headaches. But everyone just unlike Club Coming, unlike Club Coming, where we have quality pours, <laughs> uh, and um, they, they, you know they, they drink little plastic cups, and it's all sort of smells of gas downstairs. It's, I love it. Um, anyway, I went there, and you know it's always about oh, Alan Cummings here, and I went with him. Yeah. A funny thing about that song I, in one of the. In, in between the two times I did it on Broadway, about, say about 2010, because I did it in like 98 to 99, and then 2014 to 2015, I was out in this little piano bar uh, called Marie's Crisis, which is just a sort of a show tunes, but everyone's there drunk and singing songs, and everyone knows all the words, and there are all these kind of, you know, and they're so, you know, you don't, you don't fuck about it, you don't go and ask for Sound of Music, like, uh, we will be playing the entire Sound of Music on a Tuesday, you know, things like that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so I was there with Dan and haha, everyone's a bit kind of, ooh, look. And oh, oh, anyway, so I was there with Dan and Chris, that lovely boy who I'd met when he came to do a show on Broadway. He was in Glee and then he came to do a uh, takeover from, from Dan, actually. I think from Daniel Radcliffe, who I'm doing this play with now, in How to Succeed in Business. 
And um, gosh, I forgot, I never talked to him about that. Anyway, so we became friends, blah, blah, blah. We go one time to Marie's Crisis and there's this bit of a stir. And he told me that, Darren told me that he, you know, had grown up watching me, blah, blah, blah. And he loved Cabaret. He loved that song, I Don't Care Much. And he did this special kind of harmonies with it. I was like, oh, how lovely. Um, so we're in Marie's Crisis. And they say, Alan and Darren, would you like to sing a song together? And I was like, what? We wanted to sing a song. We never sing, we didn't let anyone sing a song. And I was a bit drunk. And I thought, well, what could we possibly sing? And he said, well, you know, we could play that song. You know, we could do, I don't care much. I could play the piano and do the harmonies and everything. I said, that's a great idea. Saved by the bell, you know. So we say we're going to do that. We start singing. The entire bar, bar just totally goes silent. Everyone's just clutching their pearls at this magical moment. I cannot remember the fucking words. <laughs> <laughs> Having done how many performances? Thousands. I can't remember. I just couldn't remember the words. Just went People blank. were like, all oh, these queens, musical queens, clutching their pearls like a gog and furious with me as well. And they're mouthing the words for me. To they, know they, they know it. They know it. <laughs> I don't learn one. <laughs> and so, and there's not that many words in it. But we, we muddled through. But oh, I just remember it being a hilarious moment. And uh, But then I went, you know, now, now I probably know it. I actually might sing it. It's funny, like in my concert, my personal concert, when I first did it at a concert show, someone said, well, you've got to do something from Cabaret. And I said, like, oh. So I sang Mine Hair, yes. which is not a song that I sing. Like, it's a song that Sally Bowles yeah. sings. And... Uh, I did that, and I like I like doing a song that's not mine. And, but I, I don't know. I I don't care much. This I might do it this time. But you did a concert like. with Liza Minnelli, didn't you? I did. Yes, I did what a concert did, with Liza. What did, did you sing then? I did. Uh, we did a little cabaret medley. Right. So we did like money and right. Okay. Just cabaret. Brilliant. How wonderful to show. I know. I did. You know, my house upstate. Mm -hmm. You've got to come to the next time. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I have in the big. You know, these cabins and the big one I've got you don't really notice it but then if I switch it on it's the light bulbs that spelled out Liza and Alan on the back of the stage when we did it at the town hall in New York it's, oh. and if you put it on there's so many lights it's like like being in a sunbed you have to turn it off after a minute <laughs> but it's it's one of these incredible things I just think I cannot believe I was you know doing a, I was headlining with Liza Minnelli that's amazing. That's color, when you think back over the time of Cabaret, which is so long time, is there any one time that you think, wow, that night, that was something happened that was special <clears> or somebody <throat> came or whatever? I mean, you know, I, um, I know like your mum comes to see everything you're in, obviously, but yes. you know, is there, was there ever a time that you just blew you away? See, well, uh, she blew me away the last time because she came and, and surprised me and had done this, it was a really interesting thing. I think she wanted to show that she didn't, she could organize a whole trip to New York, didn't need me or my office to do it. And, right. and she came and I, I remember coming back into my room and thinking, why are all these lights on? Because she turned all the lights on so she, and Grant was kind of with her hiding to, so, so that he could take photos and she wanted to make sure it was lit enough to get the, the reaction shot of me fine. And I was just like, who turned all these fucking lights on? <laughs> Uh, and then I came through the thing and there's my mum sitting there. I'd just gone for a shower and suddenly my mum was sitting on my <laughs> bed. That was really cute. But I think, I mean, there's sort of such a, a lot of stories like, you know, the first time round, I was so overwhelmed doing it and I would go, I'd finish the show and I'd go into the shower and I'd cry. I would sort of just say, okay, you can cry in the shower. It's fine. Nobody can hear you. It's totally normal. This is at the dumb mall. This is, no, this is in London, uh, New York at okay. the first place. And I just, it was the start of when it was, you know, people saying to me, that's what was scary. People would say, oh my God, your life is going to change. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got no idea what all this stuff. I was like, what? What's going to happen? And, uh, and I remember one time crying in the, in the shower and it was like a shower you'd go out of your dressing room up the stairs to. And like Poopy Goldberg was banging on the door of the shower going, I want to meet this guy. Come on, come on. And I was like, uh, 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 inside crying. And then recently I did a TV series and Whoopi was my uh, agent, my... Your my, boss. My editor, yeah, my yeah. boss. And the show, and I, we still spent a lot of time together, so I told her this story. <laughs> Hilarious. And then, you know, another, my, my favourite thing, actually, is, is about how, you know, um, Walter Cronkite. Yeah, yeah, The, yeah, the big American Gosh, yeah. uh, journalist in Newcastle. So he was the guy who announced the Kennedy's death. Everything, yeah. yeah. He's just, he was incredible. And so that was, you know, also going there in the late 90s, you know, it's it's still difficult for me. I've lived there for 20 years, still difficult. I haven't caught up on popular culture. There's a lot of it. 
And so there's a lot of things that, you know, people I wouldn't know or just things I wouldn't catch. So I was, I was, there was a bit when I'd go into the audience and pick up a woman and dance with her, pick up a man and kind of have a little chit chat, a little thing. So I went, there was, and I would always go for the kind of butchest, most unwilling guy. Like if you were put your hand up, like there was no way I was going to choose you. It had to be about me being in control and people actually not really wanting to do it. And so the, so there's this guy and he wouldn't come up and he was sort of going, no, no, I'm not going to. I was like, I'm doing all my tricks. Like, oh, you know you want to. <laughs> and all this stuff. Eventually I just thought, oh, he's not going to come. So I went back to the stage and I noticed this old guy and I just sort of grabbed his elbow from behind. I went, come on, granddad. And picked him up and started dancing. The place went nuts, like absolutely <laughs> screaming. And in my mind, I thought, gosh, isn't this nice? Americans are so nice to their elderly. They're, giving, they're really <laughs> encouraging him and being so supportive. And, it was and, they all and I went, what's your name? And he went, Cronkite. I was like, what? <laughs> and he went, Walter Cronkite. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and, then and you danced with him. I danced with him. <laughs> and of course, I didn't know what to say. And also everyone's just screaming like nuts. Uh, and then what was funny was I sort of said a few things and put them off because I had to get going there because, you know, I'd gone through all the music. Then a few weeks later, I was doing the, the Kennedy Center honors, Kandra and Ebb were being honored and I opened the entire fucking show and Walter Cronkite introduced me. And that was a riot because I missed the plane. They, would, they made me do a matinee in New York and then go to Washington and I missed the plane that I was supposed to get. So when I, when I arrived, the FBI took me off the plane and... Uh, like going along with the the, the the siren on and everything and like cars going off the side of the road to get me to the theatre in time because once the uh, the president arrives they shut all the doors you're not allowed in right. so they got me there just in time but they forgot to open the back door and I'm and going knock, knocking out the window <laughs> the child lock <laughs> yeah the child lock basically like the prisoner lock they'd arrived they were high-fiving that they got me there in time but they forgot to let me out of the car <laughs> and I'm like, back, hey. I'm like oh gosh sorry so I get there I Walter Cronkite introduces me I didn't actually see him, you know, because I was behind him. So then I get there and I, it all went wellish. And it was a medley of Kandra and Ebb things with me starting the song and then Joe Gray coming and then uh, Bibi Newth starting all that jazz and Chita Rivera taking over. And then we all came on and with Liza Minnelli and sang New York, New York. Like it was the craziest campus thing. That is thing. just and brilliant. I was dance, like trying to learn dance moves in the rehearsal room with Liza Minnelli and Chita Rivera trying to teach me. I just couldn't, I was overwhelmed. I couldn't get it. The shoulder thing in New York, New York. I couldn't master it at all. <laughs> I just got panicked. I still can't do it. Anyway, I, I, I went into the, the after party. I went into this room. I was like, where's the bar? And I looked over and there was Walter Cronkite. And he just saw me. And he came, by, he came striding over the room to what? And I was just sort of paralyzing it. And, and my friend was like, there's Walter Cronkite. I, I know. And he came over right over. And I thought he was going to say something. He looked kind of stern. And he came over and he went, May I have the pleasure of this dance, young man? <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. I know, it was such a lovely kind of end to it all. I mean, it really. did change your life. It did, it? totally did. Yeah, yeah. When were you were aware it was going to change your life? When you got to New York? Uh, I guess like when, I mean, it was, I knew quite quickly when I went to New York that I thought, oh, I'm going to live, I'm going to move here. I really, really yeah. liked it. So that was a change, obviously. But in terms of just, and the very, you know, having the opportunity to be in that position, I was obviously something that changed my life. But just, uh, I, I guess, you know, in terms of like my career and everything, you know, obviously lots of people knew me much more and I got offered all these things that I wouldn't have got offered before. But then also just like the whole way that the city, you know, it's interesting going there after living in London, because I didn't, mm. I, you know, I'm Scottish, but I lived in London for 10 years. And it was an interesting thing to be so welcomed by a city for many of the reasons that I was slightly derided in London. Yes. And that was an incredible thing too. That really was emboldening and, and exciting for me and, like, mm. and validating. You know? And it's given you, like, you know, it's given you a profile to be able to sort of talk about the things that are important to you. I, mean, yeah. I know you've been honoured for a lot of your LGBTQ sort of uh, advocacy and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, it's given you that. Hasn't totally. Yeah, and that show very much kind of, you know, represents all those things that I think are important. And even other things are like like mental health, you know, yes. they're, 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 it's all kind of comes... And our political like system. I mean, and and the, you said before about that creep, something, letting uh, an ideology creep in underneath the... Totally, was totally, I wish we were doing cabaret now. Yes. I mean, mm. I mean, I, I mean, doing, just looking through it and looking at the questions and stuff, I thought, God, it's exactly what, what yeah. we are. Oh, all the things about... 
you know, all the sort of tenets of fascism. If, you, if fascism is a game show, we're like mm-hmm. well up there, you know. And would you ever revisit? It's so funny because, you know, there was 16 years between me doing it in Broadway the first time and Broadway the second time. And I said, I'll, I, if I were to, and someone said, sure, oh, Alan, you're ageless, all this stuff. I said, like, I'll be 66. And, and <laughs> that would be really pervy and weird if you have a 66 year old well, man with balls all jacked up in a harness. Hey. I know I said, if I was going to, if I do it again, if they do it another time, I'd play um, Fraun and Schneider. Oh, that, well, that, that would be, be fantastic. Yeah. That would be fantastic. I think, think that would be the best way. And I, and I, I do, it does, you know, it's a, I, I really feel as well, it's, I have a niche, right, in musicals. All I've ever done on the stage are um, Cabaret and the Three Penny Opera. Those oh, are the only two musicals I've ever done on stage. I've done a couple more films. Um, but that's my, you know what I mean? I, I, I've been asked to do lots and lots of other ones. I just can't. I can't do ones where you're just yeah. funny and sunny. Teeth and tits. And tits. I can't do that. And it's sort of funny. I, I, I always think of myself as kind of a fun, light person. And then I look at the work I do on stage. I can do teeth and tits on, on But I on think the musical theatre is really pushing that now. I think when you see something like, you know, um, Fun Home, things exactly, like that, yes. the, the, yes. the Book of Mormon, the, yes. they, are, they are really, you know... There's a great thing in New York called a strange loop. A strange loop. A strange loop, right? okay, not so one of the best things I've ever seen. So I think we yeah. really, mass audiences will go, will be challenged yeah. in musical theatre by yeah. those things. And, and this was the, your well. production of this. I mean, I think the original production did it, but your production with you and Sam and, and Jane and, and that really started that. It really started it did, that mean, sense it, 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 of started challenging things, musical theatre. Yes, being being uh, active and mm, provocative, and political, and political, and also two things like the thing about um, you know actors playing instruments and being sort of the band and the cast being not two different things necessarily. That was that started there, but also the it immersive. made me dust off my harmonica. <laughs> did it? I remember, I remember in one of the rehearsals, uh, one of the audition times, and uh, I knew one of the choreographers, and he said that the boy came and he said, "Can you play any instruments?" And he looked at me and went, "I can play the skin flute." <laughs> <laughs> that is. But fantastic. now he'd have, you know, they have a couple of things, obviously, probably. Yeah. And, but but but, uh, but um, oh, I was going to tell you about. Uh, 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 oh, it's going to be my hilarious finale. Musical theatre being... Oh, yes. And, but the other thing was that, you know, I did... Um, you know that thing, um, Sleep No More? It's uh, p- Punch Drunk, isn't mm-hmm. it? And they, it's, uh, there's immersive things, and you wander around these buildings. And yes, so it's, yes, it's, it's such fun. Wonderful. And there's a, it's kind of based on Macbeth, this um, Sleep No More. And, but there's all these... You follow people around, and they go, and there's a big moor, and there's all... It's just tremendous. I loved it. So I, I, I went... So, I, so it was such a great thing to do that uh, style of performance. And then I met the guy who's the, who, who invented Punch Drunk and who invented Sleep No More and Drown Man, all these things. And, he, and, he, and he, um, I, I was sort of wheeled up to him like, oh, is this the, the guru? And I was like, hello. And he went, Alan, it's so great to meet you. And, and I was like, oh. And he goes, you know, I feel like this is a kind of a closing of a circle moment. And I was like, why? And he went, when I was a little boy, I was like, oh, not a good start to a sentence. <laughs> but when... <laughs> when I was a child... Yeah, when I was like three, or my recent favourite on a film set, this guy, and you, I could, you can tell when people are freaking out. And I've done a lot of kids' films and things, and I understand. It's really lovely, actually. But this guy got me on his own one day when I was walking back to my trailer. He went, Alan, I just want to say, you touched me a lot when I was a child. And I was like, never say that again to any actor. I always get my mum loves you. Oh yes, yeah. I might get me a granny. Really. Yeah. But then, anyway, but the, the the punch drunk guy, I think his name's Felix, said when he was a little boy, he'd come to see cabaret with his dad, and the immersive thing of being of sitting in the room, like feeling that you're sitting in the club and that people are all around you. The idea that you could be in an experience, not just watching it, mm. was what prompted him to start mm. punch drunk. So in a way, you know, cabaret inspired that whole sort of thing as well. It was wonderful. Yeah, it's really amazing. Is the one thing that you will take away from Cabaret for you, is the one thing that you went, that, I did that? Or is it the whole thing? Um, I think it's like, it's sort of like, I feel it's, I didn't know it at the time, 
but I feel it's like it's the kind of the culmination of all the things I'm good at mm. or, or it's, I think it's a really great part for me uh, in that way like I feel I can I can sing I can be funny I can be vulnerable I can you know be scary scary mm. yes and, and dramatic and it's I mean it's a great great role but I think that you know I, I what the stand up comedy act I used to do a thousand years ago Victor and Barry we used to do a version of, of Vielkommen. Like, it's so funny. Like, years before, we would do, you know, Vielkommen, bienvenue, welcome. And at the end, we'd go, Vic and Barry, Vic and Barry, Vic and Barry. Brilliant. So it's been in your blood. It's been there. And I do, so, and even some of the gags that I do, uh, which are now in the script of, of, of Cabaret, you know, a lot of this text that we changed and when we made it, um, and it was it's now that production which is the base of all the productions around the world like I'll go you know do you feel good I bet you do that was a Victor Barry line yeah. uh, um, there's a couple of there's a couple of gags like really terrible gags that I did as Victor and Barry two boys from Kelvin Side in the, in the 80s are now being done by actors all around the globe as a German uh, I love Victor ceremony. and Barry I took I took the photograph of Victor and oh, yeah. Barry for the poster <laughs> of Victor and Barry going up to Edinburgh and it was with Alan and Forbes in your old house yeah, with outside socks and, shoes and they just had socks and a boat and a cravat I was trying to get the cravat to fly as and, and they were going to have Victor and Barry across the in the sky nether regions. so you yeah. just had your pants on and you were looking and you were covering horrified. your nipples but the great thing was as I was taking it there was this building site next to your house with all these Builders and they're all whistling. Oh, all right, mate! And you two just <laughs> run into the house. And the fellow, I still got the poster actually of the Savior. in the scuds. That's right. In the scuds. Look at you. That's another another string to your bow. Hey, I can always take your spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Not that anybody has their spotlight. Now people don't do spotlight anymore. I wonder what's happened to spotlight. God, they've gone into other things. Now you go there in order to do your um, self tipping. Oh, well, Alan, it's been fantastic so to do. Yes. It's wonderful. And uh, it was a fantastic production and you were amazing. Oh, thank you. It. Yeah, I have such fun memories of it. Good. And it's also good because I'm forever connected to it. Do you know what I mean? It's one of these things I'm... I just do what I like. Yeah. I just do what I takes my fancy and what I feel I need and what and I sometimes challenge myself very much like this dance thing obviously I'll be 56 years old and doing a solo dance piece that's not sensible but I just feel like now and again you've got to have these things that you might fail at mm. and so do that sometimes and then just do whatever the work yeah, you yeah, want yeah, yeah. Just, just have a nice life yeah. but it's um, you know sometimes I do things like gosh that's crazy but actually it's all worked out yeah. but I do think it's a nice thing to be you know, especially in Broadway, it's sort of like you know, legendary Broadway performances. Th for that to be it, mm. for that to have changed so many people, it's it's a, it's a lovely thing. And I'm it so means happy. it affords you the ability to go on and do those things that you want to do yourself. Yes, because you have that sort of yes. kudos behind. You. Yes, exactly. Thanks, mate. It's been a Cheers, pleasure. Yes, Cheers. Nice. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Cheers. Who am I this time? Is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan, music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg and presented by me, David Morrissey. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.